but it was a really, really cool use case. They had weather stations, unlike the Australian Outback. So they're constantly collecting all this weather data, right? They're doing some minor like stream processing on that data they're collecting. But since they're in the middle of nowhere, like they can't really get that data to where it needs to go because the service yeah. is so bad. They're doing that minor stream processing whenever they find something that's notable or worthwhile. And that information needs to go back for like further processing. They'll send basically an alert and they'll send out a drone with a little Kafka cluster on it, like a Raspberry Pi based cluster or like a vehicle with a, with a Raspberry Pi cluster on it. And they'll drive by close enough or fly close enough to that weather station to do cluster linking to link the Kafka cluster from the weather station to the Kafka cluster on the drone or the vehicle what? and get the information they need. And then they can take the drone or the vehicle back to wherever they need to go and do further processing on it. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Welcome back to another episode of Alexa's Input. Um, thanks for joining me. I've been a little MIA this summer, but I'm very excited to get back. I have some exciting episodes coming up, and I'm excited to get on a more regular and frequent schedule with uh, publishing the podcast. And today I have joining me is Danica Fine. Danica got her degree from the University of Pennsylvania. From there, she went to work at Bloomberg. Um, for over four years, first she worked on the business intelligence team, and then she worked on derivatives data streaming infrastructure team. Um, that's how she got a lot of her experience doing working with streaming and Kafka. Now for over a year, she's been working as the a senior developer advocate at Confluent. And today that's what we're kind of going to be talking about is her her work with Confluent. So we discuss a lot about what Confluent is, what problems they solve, how they use Kafka, um, what is Confluent Cloud, what is streaming useful useful for in general versus batching. Um, we talk about some best practices and some hurdles that people may have when they're first starting to uh, work with streaming architectures like Kafka. And we also ex discuss some Confluent features and um, some really cool use cases that she's encountered that use streaming um, and that use Kafka for streaming. So I think this was a very educative episode for me, and I hope it is for you. Um, as always, it's a great pleasure for me to talk to Danica. I met her at KubeCon EU in Spain um, in May, and I am really happy to have made her acquaintance and look forward to hope, hopefully talking more with her in the future. So I hope you find her just as much of a joy as I did. Um, enjoy and thanks again for listening. If you can, please go to the anchor link in the description and donate. Um, you can do as little as 99 cents and you can go up from there. I appreciate everyone who does donate. Just know I see you. I appreciate you. And thank you for listening and investing in my podcast. Also, don't forget to hit the subscribe button because then it notifies you about new episodes that come out. You can also follow the Twitter account at Alexa's Input to know more information about new episodes and when they come out as well. As always, thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Alexa's Input. Hi, Danica. Hi, I'm so nice glad to, to be here. Nice to see you again. It's been like two months, sad. Two months, yeah. And, you know, we're meeting under different circumstances this time. I feel like it was very, very, very nice to be in Valencia for, for KubeCon. So yeah, that was a lot very, of fun. Yeah, yeah, I miss the beach, but it's fine. Um, so tell me, I know, right? So tell me a little bit about yourself and what you yeah. do and introduce yourself to our listeners. 
Absolutely. So my name is Danica Fine. I am a developer advocate with Confluent. And I'm not sure if everybody knows what developer advocates are. You know, it's kind of a thing that I learned about in the last couple of years, and I'm so glad to be in this role now. But um, my job is basically to get people excited about technology that, that my company uh, creates and builds their products around. And it's been a really, really fun gig. I go to conferences, I write blogs, I do podcasts, and yeah, all for the purpose of engaging with the developers and getting them excited about things. Sounds super fun. Uh, what did you do before you were a developer advocate? Yeah, so I was, I was just a regular software engineer, living my life. Um, <laughs> Um, actually, yeah, I love it. Um, I'm, this is really cool to make the transition from software engineering to developer advocacy. Um, but yeah, I was a software engineer for five years with, uh, with Bloomberg's and the way I actually got into developer advocacy is that I was building a lot of applications around Apache Kafka at, at Bloomberg, really, uh, interesting problem space, a lot of fun to build those applications. And so I started talking about that technology a lot internally and then realized, oh, I really like talking about this tech. It would be so cool if I could do this full time. And that's what I get to do now as an advocate. So it's a pretty awesome. cool transition. Yeah. yeah, it's a cool story. So you mentioned that you work at Confluent. Can you tell me a little bit more about what Confluent is and, and what they do? Like what kind of problems do they solve? Yeah, absolutely. So just taking a step back though, because to understand Confluent, you have to understand Apache Kafka. Mm -hmm. And so Apache Kafka, open source distributed event streaming platform, right? So there's a lot there, we'll, we can unpack that later, but um, focus on the fact that it's open source and for many enterprises, right? You know, they don't necessarily wanna deal with the open source technology directly, right? It's mm -hmm. more efficient to have someone else manage that for you. Um, so that's why we have companies like Red Hat, right? Yeah. So Confluent offers a managed distribution of Apache Kafka along with some other nice things tossed in. And Confluent was actually founded by three of the original creators of Apache Kafka. Um, cool. So we're kind of, I don't know, we're kind of experts yeah. <laughs> at the technology. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so we offer Apache Kafka you know, as a managed distribution, basically. Awesome. And like, what kind of users do you have? Yeah, um, mostly enterprise, um, a lot of different use cases. So we offer a couple of different types of products like flavors of, of Kafka. Um, so we have an on-premise like standard Apache Kafka sort of uh, distribution with Confluent platform. Um, we offer it in the cloud through Confluent cloud and, and there's a lot of extra bits and bobbles on top of that. And um, I think the biggest thing we offer is cloud-based stream processing using uh, something called KSQL DB. And we have schema registry to keep track of your data and what it looks like, and also some fully managed uh, connectors, which are ways to get your data into and out of uh, Kafka. I know that was a lot, but yeah. So we have a variety of users, you know, cherry picking from different things like that. So on-prem users who are just looking to, um, you know, have someone else sort of manage their, their Kafka on-prem. And then people mm -hmm. who just don't even want to have um, you, they don't want to think about managing any other infrastructure. And uh, that's where our cloud-based offering comes from. Nice. And so for the people that know on-prem on just means that you're not using cloud, you're using your like own hardware and stuff. Yeah. Um, super interesting. So you said there's Kof or there's Confluent Cloud. What is Confluent Cloud? Yeah. So 
basically you, you bring your own cloud, right? If you have yeah. a cloud provider that you want to use, so GCP, Azure, uh, AWS, whatever you want to be using, oh, I um, see. we will run your, your Kafka cluster in there for you, right? So oh, that's neat. Um, yeah, so then you can integrate with whatever, whatever cloud you know, provider you want to be using. Um, we're, we're cloud agnostic. And, and yeah, so it's just you know, seamless integration from there. Oh, I see. So not that they offer the cloud, but you can use the Kafka or Confluence Kafka, Kafka offering on the cloud. Yes. Neat. Yes. Yeah. No, That's cool. cool. Nice. And do you like, do you know uh, of any other cloud providers? Do they offer a managed Kafka service or just Confluent? Yeah. So there's a couple ones out there and, you know, there's, there's pros and cons of each and some people offer different sets of features. Um, Amazon has, has MSK. There's a couple other options out there. Um, but as far as, you know, I don't want to get into like a product, a product war, but yeah, yeah, I think so, we offer yeah. like a pretty big set of features and, you know, some of the other like managed offerings are a little less, um, hands-on in how much they manage it. Right. So, um, I think that's, what's unique about our offering is that we literally take all of the infrastructure out of, off your hands. If you, if you don't want to deal with it, you know, just spin up your cluster in a couple of minutes, it's running on whatever cloud provider you want. And we're going to keep making sure that it runs. Nice. So usually people probably have a whole team that's dealing with this infrastructure and, and you're, what you're trying to do, it seems like is take away the need for that team and just, and just have a company that does it for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, having experienced this and in, in other companies, you know, there are teams of, I don't know, to, what, 20 people managing a Kafka cluster, managing that infrastructure, Jeez. depending on the size of the company. And it can be a lot. And if you're not an expert in Kafka, if you haven't been doing it for years, it can be really complicated uh, with any distributed system. It's like that, right? So yeah. um, I think it's really, really beneficial to have, you know, your infrastructure managed. I mean, that's a lot of technical products these days, isn't, yeah. it's nothing. It's like, like a lot of companies are springing up and doing this, right? Like we're not offering anything new. We're just doing it for you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever technology you want to use, we'll, we'll offer it uh, as a managed solution. So I think that's extremely valuable because now we can have smaller companies, you know, for a startup, if you want to use Kafka and you have like three people in your office, trying to, trying to build this product, you don't want two of them to have to manage your Kafka cluster, right? Yeah. So, yeah. It's really useful for, for cases like that as well. Yeah. Awesome. And I, are you guys involved probably, this is an obvious question, but you guys involved in the um, Kafka open source community as well? Yeah, absolutely. I think, actually, I don't know the specific statistic now, but it was something like 80% of like the commits come from, from within Confluent, I think. Oh, that's like, awesome heavily involved. It may not be that large of a number. I'm, I haven't seen the actual number quoted recently. Yeah. 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 The last one I heard. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of folks internally still working on the project. Um, we're, we're actively encouraged to, to do that, to contribute back. So yeah, we're really involved in it. Cool. That's awesome. It's a good opportunity for the engineers as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, let's dive into like what streaming or event streaming is. Um, mm -hmm. could you maybe explain for me and walk me through like when you say event streaming, what do you mean? Yeah. So this is, this is where it gets fun. Right? There's a lot, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, so let's start with the basics, right? So you, you know, about batch processing, right? We just, yeah, we have some information being produced. We wait a couple minutes, days, hours, whatever to collect that data. And then we, uh, we analyze over that. We process over that batch of information, right? That's 
good for some use cases, a little slower, obviously. Um, so then evolving from that, we have like messaging frameworks, things like RabbitMQ, right? That they allow you to connect some sort of source, you know, you're producing this data to a queue. And then you have some consumers, some sync that, you know, consumes that information from the queue one, one by one. And um, usually only once though, because it's, it's a queue, right? That's the nature mm -hmm. of the queue, right? Um, so streaming, stream processing expands on that, right? Allows you to combine multiple streams of data from multiple sources. Um, you can have them processed in different ways, potentially at the same time. So you can have um, a lot of different consumers consuming from the same um, stream, the same pieces of information. Um, and those pieces of information don't disappear, right? Because it's not a queue. You can consume mm -hmm. them many times, as many times as you want, really. Um, and then once those things are processed, then you can have um, them, you know, consume them to multiple sinks or, you know, different downstream systems. So it's like, it's like messaging on, on like steroids. Like there's a lot more that you can do with it uh, and a lot more of the connections that you can make between your different data sources. When do people want to use messaging and streaming versus batching? Yeah. Um, I'm sure you can think of like a lot of, if you can think of any sort of like batching system uh, with it within your company, right? Mm -hmm. um, would you benefit from doing that a little bit faster? Like, is there anything that you can think of that could be done just a little bit, um, a little bit more quickly? Like I used to work in like data warehousing and, and building reports uh, for, you know, internally. And a lot of those were end of day processes, right? And cause that's just how it was done, right? There's a large yeah. volume of data coming in. Um, we're just going to process it overnight and you're going to have a report in the morning, right? Yeah. Um, but like, what if you could get that information as it's happening, right? That data is being created in real time. Why don't we actually act on it in real time? So um, that's where these sort of technologies sort of come in, right? We're moving from batch to real time. So we wanna start producing incremental results more quickly. And so that's where Kafka and other messaging frameworks come in. Nice, yeah. Um, when I worked at uh, Blue Core, my old job was building an analytics platform. And we, one thing we used to do is like scheduled analytics updates about how many emails have been sent and emails are being sent all throughout the day. So you mm -hmm. wouldn't see maybe the results for, I can't remember what, how long it was, but let's say like if it were a day or like twice a day. Um, so I thought that was a really good use case for us to use streaming because you could get real time analytics. And yeah, like absolutely. Analytics is a good uh, streaming case too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like we definitely ran into some difficulties because streaming is uh, more complicated in a way. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you want to talk about how things get a little complicated sometimes with streaming? <laughs> I mean, I think, <laughs> think mm -hmm. yeah. So it's just, first of all, it's a different way of thinking, yeah. right? When you're moving from like a batch oriented system, um, I mean, it's, it's usually a lot of like legacy technologies. There's not a lot or... I mean, I don't want to make the blanket statement, but I feel like there have been fewer advances in that area for like batch processing. So mm -hmm. a lot of the tools that we have are just older, a little clunkier. They're attached to legacy systems. Like there's a set way of doing it. And um, it's just hard to, it's hard to make the change, right? Yeah. It's just, it's difficult. Um, so that's a big thing. Um, and then when you want to get into streaming and doing event streaming properly, there's like, there's definitely a learning curve to understanding how your data should look as part yeah. of that, right? Um, you need to translate things into events. And so it just 
giving a quick definition on that, like an event is just something that has happened, right? It has a mm -hmm. timestamp. Um, it describes what was involved, what happened. Um, so it's a fact, it's something immutable that you can't change. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of orgs that are trying to move from batching to streaming kind of miss that, right? They just kind of throw the information that they were using in the batch into, uh, into the messaging framework, into Kafka and just assume that it's going to work. And yeah, it could potentially work, but then you're modeling your data in a slightly different way than mm -hmm. would be optimal for the system. Um, so that's a big part of it. I think like that learning curve is definitely, it's definitely there. Yeah, it's like how you handle the data that you're putting in is a little different than in batch because I guess maybe you could, um, I don't remember everything that we were like trying to think of, but I kind of remember that you had to handle like duplicates a certain way. Because if you're handling a lot of data at once, you can kind of handle that whole thing a day. Like if you have duplicate events, you can just say like, mm -hmm. get the first one. But if you're entering things into a database, I think there are like some nuances there with the data and how you're entering it, right? Um, yeah. Absolutely. I think that's something I remember like us talking about. I was like, oh, that's interesting that I didn't really think about that, but it totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. And that a lot, a lot of those things arise from the fact that like you're using um, the distributed system, right? There's a lot of other, other nuances under the covers that you had to pay attention to and timing and knowing um, like when your events are happening, when this data is happening and like I mean, this is going to sound weird, but like what the timestamp is, like, of course something has a timestamp, but like what, like there's, there's different notions of time in, yeah. in like Tosca, <laughs> right. There's like when that a piece of information actually happened, when you're actually writing it to the system, when you're actually processing it, you know, so there's like a yeah. lot of different things going on there that you just need to be aware of. And it's funny, like, we're just, um, there's like a Twitter thread that we were, um, that was, that was going on recently about like, what have been some of the hurdles that you've had with Apache Kafka, like learning it? What do you wish would have been um, explained better? And a lot of yeah. it, like that came up a couple of times, like understanding when the timestamps are happening and like just the little nuances under the covers that you don't really think about. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of room to be explaining these things better. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess like when, when an event happened and the first event received could be totally different things. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah like that timestamp of like when Kafka received it or wrote it and when it happened could be different. And like, I guess on based on your business logic, that could be important for. Absolutely. It, yeah, absolutely. That can be critical. Like the use case that we were dealing with um, at, at Bloomberg, this is like billions of events per day, right? It's, it's, it's yeah, real time market crazy. data, right? So that's like, when you get to that volume, it's like, we, this has to be perfect. <laughs> like we have to figure out. <laughs> How, yeah, how we're actually processing in this and like what's happening under the covers. Um, and yeah, so that made it really fun, complicated, yeah. but fun. Yeah. Scale is fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that was a good overview of streaming. So can you tell me maybe a little more detailed about how Kafka handles streaming? Yeah. Um, so how does Kafka, like, how is it architected to handle this like messaging system? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Distributed event streaming system. That is what, what Kafka is. Um, so streaming in that it is moving that information quickly as it's happening. Um, the fact that it is an event system is also really critical, right? So we're communicating those facts and they're immutable. So that's a, that's a big part of how Kafka can be efficient right? Because you're mm -hmm. communicating these like smaller pieces of data. They're not going to change. So it's easy to replicate it um, to different areas in the cluster. Uh, and that cluster just is distributed, right? So we have a lot of different nodes involved in, um, you know, having that data produced to and consumed from, and it's all sort of managed by um, 
right now by, by Zookeeper, some sort of, you know, um, <clears throat> by, by Zookeeper. And then we're moving away from that to um, like a different protocol to coordinate that sort of metadata with across the cluster. So, and for those that don't know, can you kind of tell what Zookeeper is? Yeah, so it's a, it's a coordinator for the cluster, right? It keeps track of the metadata to know um, who uh, or what uh, broker is like the leader um, and, and really just coordinates all of that. And in the case that one of the nodes maybe goes down, because that happens, it's a distributed system, right? Uh, it handles that sort of leader election process to figure out who or what other broker in the cluster should be elected as the leader and, and make sure that that, um, that whole bit is coordinated. Um, but we don't really need that, right? Zookeeper has caused some problems. <laughs> it's a headache for a lot of people, just having an extra bit of technology uh, to do that management for you. Um, so they're now moving it internal to Kafka itself. Oh, nice. Cool. Yeah. So now it just, it doesn't need it. It's crazy. Awesome. It's crazy. So it's your own thing or so now it's, yeah, just part of, part of Kafka. That's pretty cool. So you built your own, like, uh, what's it called? Your own Zookeeper? It's your own, yeah, uh, pretty much. Yeah. It's um, mm -hmm. it's called KRAFT. Um, yeah. So it just it it figures out all cool. of that same thing. It handles the metadata, and the metadata is all stored within Kafka. Um, so it's just awesome. It would have been fun to write that. I find that whole process of electing and um, promoting notes kind of interesting. So that's probably a cool project for some people. But yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm <laughs> really excited for it. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, definitely a long time coming. Um, and I think within the next. I think in this latest Apache Kafka release, it became production ready, I believe. Um, so yeah, we're almost there. We're almost there to get rid of Zookeeper completely. So, which is nice. crazy. It'll be a sad day. <laughs> uh, but new things coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Kafka has that and anything else that it adds that um, is unique to Kafka? Yeah, I think one of the, the really cool things that differentiates Kafka from other sort of similar technologies like, like messaging queues is that, um, like I kind of said earlier, it's like it's not a queue, right? You can configure it to be that if you really want a queue, you know, so you write mm -hmm. it once, it's consumed once, great. Um, but it's just, it's so configurable that you can, you can, you can achieve a queue, you can achieve some sort of like a, a fan out sort of broadcasting style of messaging if you want that as well. Um, but really how it shines is having um, an end to M sort of, uh, you know, producers to consumers, right? We can have as many producers as we want writing to as many um, Kafka topics. These topics are what you actually write the data to. They're, they represent a specific data entity. Um, and you can have as many consumers as you want consuming that data from, as many topics as you as you want, right? And it doesn't matter. Like you can have twenty five consumers reading from the same topic; um, they can all get that same information. They can read those same immutable events and recreate that same uh, state of that data entity, right? Um, so that's very different from messaging queues, right? Where like if you have twenty five consumers, they're all going to consume different events from that queue, maybe, and they're only going to get it once, right? Oh, I see. Um, yeah. So you have that like notion of replayability. The data is there for a configurable amount of time. Um, and that means you can use Kafka as a persistent storage layer, which is pretty cool. Um, oh, awesome. You can have it, yeah, you can have infinite uh, storage if you, if you really want. <laughs> nice. And do you see people using that a lot? And like, what do you see them using it for? Absolutely. Um, 
what are they using it for? I have to think of a specific use case. I mean, anything that you just don't want to lose that data. I mean, there's a lot mm -hmm. of mission critical data out there, right? Um, so storing the benefit of having that infinite sort of storage layer is that um, you can kind of treat Kafka as a database. And that is a separate, that's a separate sort of argument or a separate question, like is Kafka a database? Sort of short answer. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but that's going to be the title. There. That's going to be the title of the talk is Kafka database. <laughs> oh, there are definitely like, there's a lot of conference talks out there. My, my colleague, uh, Chris Jenkins, uh, really like he'll get on the soapbox about that. It's really fun. Um, <laughs> but anyway, yes. So you can kind of treat it as a database, right? Like where you can just, um, you can have this infinitely persistent and, and have your sort of like things like reference data sets that, you know, you need to keep indefinitely, right? So mm -hmm. you have access to that. Um, so that's always going to be there for you to use. You don't have to have a separate, um, a separate platform, a separate database to store that information. You can just have it in Kafka and then have all of your real-time information streaming through there. And you can connect those two, those two data streams, those two topics, um, pretty, pretty quickly and efficiently. So there's a lot, a lot of benefit that storage there. Um, yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty cool option, I think. So um, do people at some point, they clear it out? Do you know uh, kind of how people utilize that? Yeah, so I think they're, if, if they don't clean it out, if it, they just let it like grow and grow and grow, so you're, you're storing all of this data all the time and ever growing list of data, um, they probably don't realize they're doing that, right? Or maybe it's not what they initially wanted to do. Um, the default in Kafka is to have some sort of cleanup happen. So you have to specifically opt in for that infinite retention, right? Um, by default, there's, I think it keeps the data for a week. It'll, it'll keep a week of data and then like start to clean up anything older than a week. Um, but there's a lot of nuances. Um, people complain about this all the time. No one really knows when Kafka cleans up that information, right? So there's a lot of factors at play. There's like, um, so is it older than like seven days? Right. And yeah. then there is like, well, how much data are you actually storing? Cause there's that notion of too. Like if you get above a certain amount, just clean yeah. it up anyway. Um, and then there's like, there's like the log file based, uh, so like how big is the log file or how many log files or segment files do you have under the hood? Um, so there's a lot of different things at play when it decides to actually clean things up, but more or less it will be seven days by default and you can play around with the configurations from there. So, <laughs> but there is a lot That's going cool. on. <laughs> nice. Um, I was just thinking, I actually remember that Netflix uses Kafka yeah. also. And that was a really cool use case to see as well um, about how all the different types of data can go to different streams mm -hmm. uh, because they have data like when someone paused or when they stopped, like all that data is like, so much super cool to see like how kafka streaming can uh uh works in that way so um that was i think my first introduction to it uh, and like netflix seeing has one of the scale. coolest like kafka setups they, yeah right <laughs> that's like really cool and they're using yeah. it at a scale that's like almost unfathomable yeah like they've got they've got hundreds of clusters i think thousands of brokers, something ridiculous like that. And they're processing like over a trillion events per day because everything's an event, right? Every time, yeah. every time you pause or like, you know, hover over something just a little too long, you know, that's how they know that you actually want to watch Bridgerton because you 
<laughs> you like yeah. watch that preview a little too long, right? Like they know. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> pretty cool. Pretty <laughs> They're getting those events. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of cool to see. Um, so I'm sure you hear a lot of user stories about how people are using things and, um, you know, you make a lot of great videos on YouTube, which I'll link in the, in the description to the, the YouTube channel, about like how to use uh, Kafka with Confluent. Um, is there anything or any number of things that you think people let's say do wrong a lot that are like common misconceptions or like best practices <laughs> that you could recommend? Oh man. Oh man. That's like, that's a load of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a load of, question. yeah. Well, I mean, like, like I said earlier, like there's a lot of, there's a learning curve, right? So yeah. you, can, you can get started using Kafka pretty easily, but do you really understand what you're doing? Most of the time, no. Like you, you can understand enough to like get started, but like there are things that I'm still learning and like trying to, to figure out um, specifically because there's like, it's, it's, it's pretty complicated, right? It's a, it's, yeah. it's a distributed system. There's a lot going on. Um, there's a lot of configuration options, both for like producing data into Kafka, consuming it, what happens once the data is in Kafka and the defaults are pretty great. But if you go in and accidentally like change something, like sometimes you don't understand the implications of that. You're, you're saying like, oh, well, I'm actually just, um, I want to compact this data or I want to clean it up more frequently. Um, but sometimes that's not going to happen immediately. Like you expect it to happen immediately. And like, I don't know, there's, there's just a lot of things and they're usually yeah. related to configurations and doing that improperly. Um, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing I can recommend, this is such a cop-out is like, read the docs. And if the docs don't make sense, then complain to someone to fix it because, because <laughs> that doesn't happen enough in open source software, right? Like, yeah, we should have, we should have better documentation. We should, um, to be fair, I think that the Kafka documentation is pretty good. Um, so there's a lot of things that you will learn and, you know, problems that you will avoid by reading the docs. <laughs> so, yeah. Read the docs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do have a, um, I do have a blog post that I wrote earlier this year um, that I think would actually be helpful to link to because it is yeah. um, some common common pitfalls that people encounter. Um, and there's like a pretty big one around like producers and not like understanding the timing of producing data into Kafka and mm -hmm. when you should consider something like a failed produce request or um, when you should like retry sending. Um, and these are all things that happen just because it's a distributed system, right? Like is a node down? Is it actually down? Or are we just like uh, inundating it with requests? Like what, what should we be doing in that situation? But yeah, really helpful blog posts. I think you should link to it. Um, For sure. Awesome. There's a lot, there's way too much to list here on like how to avoid all problems with Kafka. If you're learning, yeah. you're like, oh man, like that's a blog series. That is an infinite blog series. <laughs> yeah. I bet. Um, maybe we could, we can collab on a, on a blog. I can't talk. Absolutely. <laughs> maybe we can collab on a blog. Yeah. Say that like 10 times fast. Um, yeah, maybe I should like mess around with Kafka. I haven't before, but I know that KSERV uses it. So Maybe yeah, I should. No, seriously, should you should do it. it. And like, again, like, tell me when things suck and we'll try to yeah. fix it. You know, <laughs> like, Sounds that's good. the best that, like, we need more people who are starting from scratch that are like, um, not committed to the process, but like, you know, are happy to point out when things just aren't great. We want it to be a good onboarding yeah. experience, right? Yeah. 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 Sometimes uh, a beginner's perspective is very helpful. I agree. Absolutely. Um, 
So how would you like to see Confluent expand? What features are is Confluent looking to grow out? Yeah, so what I want to see, like, so we have our on-premise option and then the cloud option, which I think is like, the cloud option is invaluable, right? That's incredible. Yeah. Like the fact that you can spin up a cluster and have that ready in a couple minutes and just, you know, you know, start integrating that pretty quickly. We love um, the cloud. We love the cloud. <laughs> so good. Um, but there's a lot of other cool things built around that, like in our cloud offerings. So we have schema registry also uh, available there. Um, and also our stream processing in the cloud, which is super cool. So like, Usually if you want to do traditional stream processing with Kafka, like you have to build a, um, a Kafka streams app, which is, you know, Kafka streams is a Java and Scala based library for stream processing, which is cool. Like it takes a lot of um, the headache of like managing state off your hands, which is super cool for a distributed application. Um, but you have to write a Java application, which is kind of a downside, right? Like, mm, you know, it depends on who you are and you know, how lightweight you want your code base to be great. Um, so, a lot of like stream processing platforms have started offering like a SQL like version of, of their stream processing. So we've got KSQL DB, which basically is that you use SQL syntax to build a stream processing application. Nice. Which is really cool. So like if I want to do like an aggregation, like a running average on things, um, I don't have to build the stream processing application and handle the state of that. I can just say, okay, I'm going to select the key. I want to do the average of this field and window it over, you know, two hours. Right. And it's going to do that for you. And it's going to spit that out into a Kafka topic and you can access that whenever you want. So I didn't have to build a Java application, which is really cool. Um, it makes it a lot more accessible. So anyway, that's a really cool feature. And I'm excited to see more cloud-based features like that, that just make this technology way more accessible to, to the average person in analytics, not necessarily software engineers, but anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and by making this like, this is available just in your web UI, nice. which is crazy. Like you don't have yeah. to like, you don't have to run anything anywhere else. Like it's just there. It's going to be run in your cloud instance. You're done. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to see more things built around that. And yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I've noticed when I was doing the analytics stuff, like everything had a ton of support for Java and some things like Python, it was newer and it wasn't fully supported yet. And mm -hmm. so then we ended up doing some Java stuff, but yeah, like like streaming and pipeline stuff loves Java. It seems like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a little unfair, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like, it's frustrating. Cause like, yeah, so there is like, there's a lot, there's some Python support. It's gotten better. Um, and I think there's, yeah, it's pretty much all JVM based, um, the stream processing, most of it. Um, but it's like really unfair because like the producers and the consumers, like the regular clients that you're using to, with, to interact with Kafka generally, those are available in like every language you want, mm. every language you'd want. Um, it's funny, like I get, I mentioned him earlier, Chris Jenkins, but he says like, it's available in Haskell, you know, in all other lesser languages, right? <laughs> like you have anything available. If you want to use it, you can use it. Um, yeah, for stream processing, like you're a little limited. So. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, but I noticed that things are, are they're, they're building more and more support and features around. Um, things like I saw Python, for example, I'm sure there's more, I don't know, let go, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like the way to make more of that happen is just having loud people say that they want it. 
right? Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> That's so true. Um, so I kind of finished all of my Confluent Kafka questions, but I, what I would like to talk about is um, you mentioned, so since you're a developer advocate, you do a lot of cool stuff. Um, and you mentioned something you did, you went to like the Netherlands and you did some streaming thing there. Do you want to talk about that? Because I thought that was really cool. Ooh, I cannot technically talk about that until like Oops. this fall, but just generally speaking, I can say that. So um, I have a lot of houseplants. Um, I'm pointing to them in this video here. If this, <laughs> but <laughs> I've got a lot of houseplants. Um, and so I built a Kafka-based pipeline to help me know when to water my houseplants, mm -hmm. which is like, it's like a, it's a very basic use case, but it solves a problem I had in my life. Right. I was neglecting I my plants. So, um, <laughs> super cool. Like I throw all the day, like I have these soil moisture sensors that collect, uh, the moisture level, of the plants, throw it into Kafka. And then I do some stream processing to figure out, um, if that's within the range that the plant's comfortable with. And then if it's not, then I get an alert on my phone that tells me I need to water my plant, which is pretty cool. What are you running this on by the way? So this is, so I have a raspberry Pi that's just oh, cool. collecting the information. Um, and then it's all cloud-based, you know, Confluent Kafka. So everything so else, cool. like I don't have to run any other infrastructure, which is pretty cool. Pretty yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, so that was really awesome. I was really excited for that. And I was like, I want to, I want to do like a video series on this, like, but that's kind of a toy use case, right? Like plants mm -hmm. in my house. Mm. So I'm like, what if there, what if there was someone using Kafka for like a bigger, like system related to plants, right? Yeah. And I found that in the Netherlands because the Netherlands has the largest amount of greenhouses per like, you know, their acreage in the world, right? So they are all about plants. They're all about growing these plants in managed environments and, you know, having analytics on that and alerting on that. And yeah, so I went to the Netherlands to go talk about a real life, very, very large scale use case on plant monitoring and Kafka. So awesome. it's pretty awesome. <laughs> these things that are happening out there. So I've seen a lot of really, really cool use cases. And when I think that I've seen like the coolest thing ever, then like a week later, I see the next coolest thing ever. And it's been really awesome. So what is the most recent coolest thing you've seen? Ooh, so I can send a link to the podcast. So you can get specific information to my, to my colleagues podcast. Um, but it was a really, really cool use case of like, they had weather stations on like the Australian outback. So like, there's like no service there, right? You know, you're Scary. in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So they have these weather like huge stations. spiders. <laughs> yeah. Like you don't want to go there. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, so they're constantly, they're collecting all this weather data. Right. And they're doing some minor like stream processing on that data they're collecting. Um, but since they're in the middle of nowhere, like they can't really get that data to where it needs to go. Right. Cause the service yeah. is so bad. So they're doing that minor stream processing whenever they find something that's notable or worthwhile. And that information needs to go back for like further processing. Um, they'll send basically an alert and they'll send out a drone with a little Kafka cluster on it, like a Raspberry Pi based cluster or like a vehicle with a, with a Raspberry Pi cluster on it. And they'll drive by close enough or fly close enough to that weather station to do cluster linking, to link the Kafka cluster from the weather station to the Kafka cluster on the drone or the vehicle. <laughs> What? and get the information they need 
And then they can take the drone or the vehicle back to wherever they need to go and do further processing on it. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Like I never would have thought to do that. And that's the thing, like, that's not the, that's not like the only use case I've heard around this. Like yeah. think of like, um, like having wearables on like, like soldiers and like when they get back to base and having that information, like linked back to a main cluster so they can like process on that or something like, or, um, like cruise ships and stuff. Like there's a lot of cool use cases for that. Like where you want to have like a localized cluster doing some minor processing. And then when you need to move it somewhere bigger, you can, it's cool. It's crazy. That is really neat. Yeah. I love that technology. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Cool. <laughs> it is cool. Awesome. Um, well, that's actually all I have. Um, is there anything I do? Are there any last words you want to leave us with? Any last words? Ooh. I think, okay, if this is the first time any of the listeners have heard about Kafka or, you know, if you haven't really used it before, just try it out. Go for it. Play with it. Um, I think it's a very, very worthwhile technology to understand. And even if you don't use Kafka, like there's a lot of takeaways that are going to help you later on and just, you know, round out your experience as a software engineer. So yeah, I'd highly recommend it. It changed my life. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. 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 I'll put so, the Confluent link in the, um, in the discussion as well. So people can find it there. Cool. Well, it's a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Alexa's Input. Make sure to subscribe so you know when the next episode comes out. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Alexa's Input. Finally, any donations are welcome. You can go click the link on in the description, go to the anchor page, and I do take donations because I edit and record these podcasts on my own. So those are very much appreciated. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.